Welcome to the Rare Air Podcast. There are just a few professions that remain shrouded in a certain mystique and sex work is one of them because even if you met someone who readily admitted they were in the industry, I wonder if you'd feel you could unleash your curiosity then and there. Luckily for us, EJ Love, who's been working in the industry for several years, has recently gone public about her work on her own social media sites and is totally chilled talking about her work and the industry. Thank you so much for being here, EJ. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I'm so excited that I, that I get to, to share with you today. Why did you decide to go public? I decided to go public because... I'm a very, I'm very much a person who believes in vulnerability and I do a lot of sharing on social media and blogging and I was really censoring myself and I was taking bits out of my story and also because I knew that it would liberate me and I knew that it would help to heal some shame. Not that I feel, you know, I don't feel ashamed about the work. I'm quite proud of it. But I think as a whole, as a message for other people who are hiding anything in their lives, it's really help, helpful for me to step up and show that if I can share this, if I can come out, then what does it make possible for other people? So in what way did having to hide what you were doing for work kind of make life complicated? I think a couple of areas of my life really I struggled with was first relationships because um, I probably have, I used to be a bit of a serial dater until I got into the industry and eventually it got to a point where I just didn't date at all because I didn't want to have to deal with having to tell a person what I did and not believing that it would be possible for me to have a relationship while I basically slept with other people for a living. And so, and I have had a couple of relationships in the industry which have got, got a little bit messy, but at the same time, there are lots of women in the industry who do have wonderful relationships. So this is just my personal experience. So I also have felt that coming out that, you know, there are people out there that do accept it and it might make, make me more available to someone that is going to be accepting and, and supportive of what I do. And the other area was, of course, my, my work, which I talk so much about vulnerability and healing shame. It's a massive part of my message. So it would actually be quite out of integrity for me to, to not share that. I was really lucky in the fact that I told my family, my parents, a few years ago. So for that period that I didn't tell them, I was... I, I almost avoided having conversations with them to the point where I um, would not talk about work and, and I'd just kind of avoid or I'd change the subject. or and, and there was this disconnection in our relationship because I was uh, sort of holding this lie. And so once I told them, it, it changed a lot. And how did they respond? Well, <laughs> my mum will love me for this. Um, <laughs> so my mum, who had a lot of pressure on me, you know, when I was just kid, you know, go to school and study hard and go to uni and be a doctor, be a lawyer, that sort of thing. I was a straight A student. And, and <laughs> when I told her, I was like, oh, so I was really scared that she was going to be the one that was, that was, you know, maybe a bit hard on me. And the, the first thing that she said <laughs> was, do you think we could start a brothel? Now, she was kidding. I, th I think she was kidding, but it may have been in the back of her mind. Because what did you actually <laughs> say? Like, what, what were the, can you remember the words well, that you used? I, I told her the whole story. I thought if I just give her some some backup, like, okay, this is how I got into it. I was a swinger and then this and then and this is, and one day this happened and I just told her this big story to like <laughs> kind of set the set the foundations for her. 
So when I told her, she was like, well, you know, we kind of suspected something and we wondered how you were making your money. And she said, you know, you know, no matter what, I'm always going to love you. Mm. And, and yeah, it was amazing. And then I opened up about all this other stuff that, you know, that I'd, you know, I had an eating disorder and things like that before that. And so it just opened up this pathway of, of connection and truth between me and my mom. So it was, yeah, just a really, um, it was just so liberating. I know it's not, not everyone gets to have that. So I'm so lucky. And that, that was a was, taste of what you've allowed yourself in coming out publicly now is that, that sense of liberation, but on a much greater scale. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In your video that you made, yeah. I love the bit where you said, it's amazing how much sex you don't have as a sex worker. What did you mean by that? Yeah, <laughs> it is really like people make these assumptions that, you know, like sex worker means, you know, people might just be coming in and, you know, having sex with you. But most of the time they're really coming to for intimacy and that really looks different to different people, okay? So people might think intimacy is sex, but to me intimacy is about can, make, can be about touch, it can be about connection, it can be about having a conversation that's really vulnerable. So there's all different reasons and sometimes, like for an example, you might have someone that books an hour they might come and then you, you might have sex for 10, 15 minutes and then you might talk the rest of the time. And, you know, sometimes I think, oh, I can't believe I'm getting paid to, like, talk. <laughs> this is great. Um, and you almost become like a counsellor because people really do op open up to you. So every session is different. You just never know how it's going to flow. And every um, industry worker, it's going to be different and, you know, depending on what people offer. And I, I attract a certain type of clientele, particularly with the work that I do now, which is more of a sexual healing, tantric kind of style work. And so my clients are really coming to heal, to learn, to explore so, yeah. So they understand that you're not just an object to have sex with in that case. They, they recognise that you're actually there to, that they are there to learn from you. Yeah, absolutely. So, but just from the way that I advertise, uh, clients come with a sense of what I'm, I'm offering, that, that it is a learning experience and it is, you know, some of them open up about sexual issues they might be having and they want to learn how to heal that. Maybe they want to learn how to last longer or have stronger orgasms, things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the past, when I sort of first started out, it very much was, you know, clients were coming for this blonde with big tits. And what I always say to people is sometimes... Clients come for what they want and what they want may look like, you know, this blonde with big tits and, you know, they want to get their rocks off and then they get what they need. And sometimes what they need is that intimacy, is maybe that escape. Maybe they just want, maybe, yeah, and maybe it is to get their rocks off, right? But it, it looks different to everyone. So it's been, it's definitely been a journey exploring and seeing and getting to know what, you know, people are looking for in terms of, um, in, t in terms of intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to me uh, because the idea that a prostitute is doing something right not something wrong, uh, isn't, doesn't sit well with everybody, doesn't sit comfortably with, I guess that's not the societal attitude on the whole. So tell me how you see it as being right. What's the right thing about this work? Well, what I really have loved is that we have this ability to hold space for clients to, I believe, to heal shame. Because 
one of the greatest ways is to heal shame is through empathy and through just just letting people express anything that they might be too afraid to open up about to, you know, maybe their partner, maybe their family. And so when people come to see sex workers, we have no attachment to their outside world. We, we're not going to go tell anyone. Um, we're not going to... Um, well, they assume that we're not going to judge them because a lot of people, from what I've seen, tend to think, oh, well, if they do this type of work, well, of course they're not going to judge me. <laughs> um, so I've, they feel safe. They feel safe to open up about things and, and maybe it is a sexual desire or a sexual fantasy that they have that they are like, oh, I want to explore this, but they will never talk to their partner because, you know, a lot of my, I mean, a lot of my clients have come because they can't get their needs met with their partner because their partner might be so closed off to doing anything sexual that they might want to explore. So I think that actually really helps relationships because if someone is unable to explore their sexual desires, unable to get their intimacy needs met, and then some people can't even communicate with their partners. Like they, they've tried to talk to their partners about sex and they're just shut down. And so when they go to see a worker, I think it's in a really safe space where A, um, they're not going to tell anyone about it and B, they won't get judged and C, is that there's no emotional attachment. Like a worker's not going to go and, and, and call the partner or, you know, get attached or, you know, there's no emotional stuff there. It's a, it's a effectively a business transaction. And is it always that? Because I guess that's always one of the worries, isn't it? That, that because you're getting what you want from that, that sex worker, therefore you instantly develop a bond with them, even if it's not reciprocated. Yeah, I think that just comes down to boundaries. So, you know, it's really important for us to have really clear boundaries with our clients. And there's definitely clients that do push boundaries. And then that's up to us whether, okay, are we going to continue? Is it serving us? Is it serving our client to keep seeing them? And sometimes we have to really put our foot down and be like, no, this isn't available to you anymore. Um, And, you know, there's just maybe a conversation that needs to happen around that as well. And I just want to jump back into where we're going with with the clients that do, you know, have have, have partners and, you know, it is seen as, well, you shouldn't be cheating. Um, I believe it's better than going out and cheating and, you know, maybe you go out to a club and you pick someone up. Whether this is a really conscious way of going out and getting needs met. And if those needs aren't getting met, then that person is going to get resentful and they're going to get triggered and their love tank um, that helps them feel, you know, loved up is going to get a lot lower because their their like their love language might be physical touch and that's not getting met. So of course they're going to start taking that out in their relationship. They're going to start taking that out in their partner, and then they end up in these big fights and wonder what's going on. It's because their intimacy needs aren't being met. We effectively have the capability of meeting their needs and effectively helping them to have a happier relationship. Mm. So how empathetic would you be then? I don't know, even if this has ever happened to you, but where the, you know, where the partner who may have their own needs and their own issues that are not being met um, would be, would be able to have the conversation with you of saying, I feel betrayed, I'm upset, Mm. I'm heartbroken. Uh, Would you feel empathetic to their situation? Oh, absolutely. I can totally, totally get that. You know, I've actually experienced that myself. So I can I can definitely resonate. And I've had only probably uh, one or two times a long time ago now where I've had a, you know, someone call up, you know, really distressed. And I don't even think it was someone that I'd actually seen. They'd kind of made an assumption, um, you know, from texts and things like that. But 
Yeah, I could I could really empathise and really get where they're coming from because it can so painful to find out someone has deceived you or betrayed you. And what I also can communicate is about is to, to help them to get some understanding of maybe why that's the case, why that may have happened, and that it's actually not personal. Like it's like so many clients say to me, "I love my wife, but." you know, this is, I'm not getting my intimacy needs met. And they do, they really do love their wives, but they're just not getting those needs met. So that's how I can explain it is saying it's actually not personal. It's not about you not being good enough or that, you know, that you can't, you're not sexy or you're not attractive or whatever story they might be going into. It's actually just about there's some needs. And interestingly enough, I have been in that position where I couldn't meet a partner's needs, where I was the woman that, and I actually told him to go, to go and see an escort. So I totally get it what it might be like to be a woman that does maybe has her, where, where her sex drive is blocked or where um, she is not feeling maybe, you know, maybe she doesn't want to have sex with her partner because she's resentful that they did something. And, you know, there's all these different reasons that women, you know, it can be body shame. And I actually have a program for women a woman's sexual healing program, which is my like taking me through my journey into sexual healing, how I healed myself from being that woman who didn't want to have, you know, really wanted to be intimate with her partner to being, you know, well, basically be- becoming a sexual healer. Yeah. So, yeah, I get it. You know hundreds of women in the industry. Um, I was wondering if you'd ever seen any common threads to their early experiences that might have led them to sex work. Hmm... Well, I honestly, I can't really speak for everyone and we don't tend to get into, I don't, we don't tend to get into too much of the... The, the how did you get into yeah, it thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, um, on the odd occasion, but yeah, we, we kind of just are in it. <laughs> um, so I really can't speak for everyone, but for women as a whole... And because I, th- I think it's really like I think we generalise too much that oh they're in the sex industry so they, this must have happened or they must have s- experienced sexual abuse or something like whatever it is they you know they must have been forced into it they must be on drugs whatever it is it, there can be some a lot of assumptions and let me tell you every woman is so different in this industry so they all come from different walks of life they all have different stories and what I find is probably a commonality and this is for women not just sex work, it's for, for all women, is that there is this connection between sex and worthiness. If you're a sexual, sexy, attractive woman, for example, then you are more worthy. And we're really conditioned that way through the magazines, through TV, through porn, all that sort of stuff that puts it, you know, if, and for me personally, it was like, well, if I provide sex for a man, that makes me valuable. Well, that was a story that I had. And I think it's one from what I've seen, it's quite common, but across the whole board, not just the sex industry, it's, it's massive. So, which is a lot of the work that I do with women is really helping to around worthiness, um, just as who they are. Yeah, which is, it goes back to the whole thing about, uh, I guess, being objectified as a sexual object. But then we, we do objectify ourselves as well, don't we? I mean, we think of ourselves as, as you've just said, essentially most valuable when we're regarded as a body that someone would want to have sex with. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like the more maybe attention you get or the more, I was going to say, the likes you get on Facebook for your <laughs> selfie or your, your sexy photo. It's like, oh, you know. So absolutely, we can buy into it basically. And, you know, we can blame the media, we can blame our parents, we can blame society. But at the 
end of the day, we have to take self-responsibility and we have to start looking at our own beliefs about ourselves and our worthiness. And this is the journey that I've had to go on. And I'm still a work in progress. There's definitely times where I feel, you know, that, you know, and when you are being, when you are getting lots of comments and compliments, and especially when you work in the industry too, like, you know, you have clients constantly telling you how beautiful you are. Like, it does feel amazing. You're like, yeah. I'm beautiful, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, sometimes you don't even believe it. You're like, oh, you know, they're just saying that. You know, so it's, everyone's different. But, yeah, it's really interesting. It's just about taking, I believe, it's just about taking ownership and uh, you're learning to love ourselves from the inside out. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier on about being, you used to run swingers parties. Mm-hmm. So how did you get from being someone who was kind of closed off yourself to being to being into that scene and then obviously... We'll talk about what happened after that. Yeah. So interestingly enough, when I was actually quite sexual through uh, probably from about 17, 16, 17, from going from really not, you know, like frigid is the, is the word that I would, would say that I kind of boxed myself into was this, and I didn't want to be frigid, so I wanted to, you know, get you know, lose my virginity and I had a really sexual relationship and then... After that, I, you know, got into lots of one-night stands and casual sex. And then through that, I got into swinging. The disconnection didn't actually come until whilst I was working in the sex industry. And I got into swinging through, just through friends, through partying. And then I got into um, sex work through swinging. And I actually started just, um, my first my first ever booking was a three-hour session with a couple. <laughs> A Which private. is exactly what you were used to anyway. I was like, this is what <laughs> I've been doing every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, when I had left with all this money in my hand, I was like, wow, I can get paid for like basically being a swinger. Um, so it was really interesting and it kind of evolved from there. And so it, what was yeah. in it for you? I, I want to kind of try yeah, and understand cool. that because there's some, there's some pleasure and enjoyment in this for you. What, what is it? What were you getting out of it? Well, when I first started out, um, actually when I first started out, I was a bit of a party girl and I I never really, I I have to say like I was much more a party girl before I entered the industry. I I actually like started partying less and less and less and gave up altogether whilst I was working in the industry. But I started out because I thought it was just, you know, I could go and I could make a big chunk of money in a short amount of time and I... um, you know, I was. I started. I did a week at a at a parlor actually. Um, after I'd already started going private, and then I thought I'd try it just so I could get some knowledge and and learn and all that sort of stuff. And I made eight grand in a week. Wow! And I was, you know, each night we were drinking with the girls and you know sleeping with guys and just like having. I was like, this is so much fun. And it was like at this kind of resort style place, um, and I couldn't believe that I was getting paid to party basically. And then after that, I went fully private. And um, for me, I was only started working a couple of hours a week. That's all I needed. Like that was a you know a grand in my hand. And then from there, it sort of started to you know started to oh I'm going to travel. Like look at this, I can travel and I have all this freedom. And I always had another business on the side. At the same time, I was building a, another business, and it gave me this ability to of, of what I uh, from what I see as freedom is like I could travel. I would enjoy most of my client sessions. Like I felt, you know, I was quite a sexual person. So, 
it just was easy for so me. So you, you never dreaded work? Oh, not no, like no, a normal, no. a normal job? No, 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 not at all. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny because when I, I remember when I first worked at the parlour, I would almost be like, don't pick me, don't pick me. I was so scared. Like, I was, you know. Because so, you weren't attracted or because I didn't, I was so scared. I didn't know what I was doing. All oh, right. <laughs> and I was like, just didn't, I was actually saying in my head, I didn't want people to pick me, which is crazy because I'm like, but this is what I'm here to do. So the other thing that I really enjoyed was the meeting people and, you know, having people from all walks of life come to see me and open up to me and share their story with me and, yeah, it was it was interesting. It was always interesting, and I'd been. It can be quite isolating if you know you're traveling all the time and you are you know in your home or house or apartment or hotel um, all the time. And so for me, I actually have enjoyed the client contact with someone coming to see me, and having that is is one of my values. Is connection is a huge value for me. So all the time I was building all these different connections, and you know, you get a mix of clients. So you know, as I always say, the industry has its ups and its downs. <laughs> Literally, you know, uh, on the most part, most of my clients have been great, and on the odd occasion, there'd be ones that weren't so great. Yeah, I want to ask yeah. you a little bit more about that in a yeah, sec yeah, but, sure. what, but uh, I mean there are lots of considerations that you mm. need because you are you're a business essentially yep. and uh, there are things like physical maintenance the amount of time that you need in preparation beforehand and then I guess there's a kind of a coming back to normal calming down kind of period afterwards you need to allow yourself and also what other aspects of, of running a business what are the considerations well, you know what are the things that people might not know about how much work is involved in being because you're like somebody's <laughs> fantasy every time yeah. you show up. There's a lot. There's so much that people don't get that we have to um, really manage. And so, yes, there is all the maintenance, um, you know, looking the part. Um, there is the constant having to think about um, locations that we, we want to work, if we want to tour, um, and is this, this tour going to be successful? The money that we have to put into that, like the hotels, the flights. And then there's, the, you know, there's management around uh, safety. There's, you know, all our supplies that we have to have. There's the admin, the phone calls. Oh, the phone calls, let me tell you. <laughs> you know, you get people that sometimes do just want to call up and just kind of waste your time and it's yeah it's can be very draining it's very draining to it's like there's a lot of admin work like you would expect like people think you're a sex worker you're just having sex all day it's like well actually it's maybe about two minutes of my day (laughs) maybe a little bit longer sometimes (laughs) but um like a lot of time goes into organization and planning and just um, and then you there's your website, there's your photos, there's your branding. It's like as you say, it's like any business. It's you know if you really want to do this properly, you have to set it up like a proper business, and you have to have that um, all that foundations set up, which is for me has evolved and changed over time. And you kind of find your feet. But there's a, there is a lot to consider and I've had a lot of women come to me over the time, um, probably over 20 women that have come to me and asked me about getting into the industry and then have gone off and, and gone into it and have also come, become quite successful with it. This, you know, I'd sit, sit them down and be like, okay, <laughs> we've got to do something. Well, this is everything you need to do. And I end up writing up all these notes for them about this is, you know, the basics and um, there's, there, there is a lot. And then, you know, there's managing like, 
having another persona, basically, like having to your worry. alter ego, the alter ego, and you know having to manage it, like in case someone finds out, or you know maybe you've got two phones and you have your separate. You know, you've got to kind of maybe hide. I remember like being at my parents' house and being on my mum's laptop and I like remember I was like having to delete the history of the browsing history just in case she went in there and all that stuff that I had to manage. And so, yeah, there's things like that that you do. It feels like a lot of pressure even when oh. you're de- describing it all to me. I can kind of feel the, yeah. just the layer upon layer of pressure. Yeah, yeah and then there's the managing of your stress levels and your time management and your emotions because we can take on a lot of, from our clients, particularly if we're very, a lot of women in the industry are very empathic and, and like myself, you know, I do like to hold a space for clients to open up and we can really take that on if we're not managing our boundaries or we're not, um, I do have a lot of, you know, practices that I use to help with that. And so, yeah, I take some extra time before and after my sessions to make sure that I'm managing that. And I'm saying no to clients at times when I'm like, you know what, my body is like a no. I used to be like, no, that's money. I can't turn it down. But now I'm like, no, I have to honour my body and do what it wants. And I know that when I honour my body, that I will, I'll be honoured back and that clients will always show up for me. And the, and usually, when I say no to a client, it's often because either my intuition is like, no, that's not a fit for me or my, you know, my body's just saying no and I can't be in that session. Mm. I'm not honouring myself if I'm seeing a client when my body is saying no. So how do you get back to yourself after you've seen a client? So... One thing I do is the first thing I do is I I have a jump in the shower and I put the cold water on. So this really helps to kind of shake the energy from my body, like zap it out almost. Um, I also uh, use white sage to sage myself in my room to clear the energy. I also... I uh, often put a yoni egg inside uh, myself. So it's like a clear quartz yoni egg that I'll pop inside my vagina and I'll, you know, leave it in there for five minutes with the intention to clear any energy that I may have picked up from the client because the vagina actually holds cellular memory. So we can really take on a lot of um, the energy of the DNA of the men that we're with. And this is the, one of the reasons that I end up so blocked up and my sexual energy was blocked because I was holding all this heavy energy from all the men that I'd been with, you know, through, you know, my um, swinging days and through sex work and through my one night stands phase, all, all of that had kind of collectively built up and numbed my body up. So it's really important that I don't go back to that. And of course, I do have all my practices that help me, you know, keep my sexual energy alive and awakened. Um, And then, so yeah, so those are kind of the three main things that I do um, after a session to help me just to cleanse and knowing that, you know, maybe I have to take a little bit of time for me if I need to. So I'll get to a point where I feel like, okay, that's cleared. Mm. Yeah. And what about in your head? I mean, people often will go over and over in their mind after a sexual encounter, you know, every kind of detail of what happened. Is that something that you still do or occasionally do? Because that takes a lot of energy as well. No. (laughs) Um, For me, a couple of things I notice happen now. Well, in the past, it would be kind of like once a client's out the door, I'd be back in my zone, like done, dusted, next kind of thing. For me now, because my clients share quite a lot of things with me that intrigue me, um, that, you know, particularly if they've got sexual issues, I will sometimes be like, oh, that's a good thing to write about. <laughs> you know, um, Not that I'd be writing about that client specifically, but it might be an issue and I've 
kind of um, intuitively being able to look at how I can help that person. And I'm like, well, this if this is happening for this person, then it's going to be happening for a whole lot of other people. So for example, I had a client recently. It's like in his mind, as soon as the condom was on, he would go a little bit soft because he, it, it was telling him that it was about to end, like that the session was about to end. Oh. So, because, you know, that he'd go and ejaculate. And then... Um, what we also got to discover was that he had been through this whole years um, with women where he was told that he had to do the withdrawal method. So he was never allowed to ejaculate inside. So for me, I was like, oh, wow, that's so interesting. Like, let me look at this. And I, and sometimes in my sessions, I intuitively get guidance. Okay, I was like, okay, now these are the practices you need to go and do. We need to start rewiring you, like after all these years, into actually being able to be with a woman and feel okay to ejaculate, feel okay um, to know that just because you've got a condom on it doesn't mean the session's about to finish. That sort of stuff really, it still plays. It stays in your head. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I've got to go write about this. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask yeah. you about the book actually because yeah. one of the themes, uh, and we've talked about shame a little bit, but one of the themes is healing shame. Um, do you see that as a problem for women generally? Oh, yeah, for everyone. Why, yeah. why are we so ashamed? It's a form of suppression, basically, that we are told that, you know, and sexual shame especially is, tends to be the greatest shame that we can hold because sex has so been most made so taboo and naughty and dirty and wrong and all this sort of stuff. And so when we're made bad or wrong when we're younger, like we get told off or we get put in the naughty corner. Um, and for men, you know, it's their emotions are bad. You know, you don't be emotional, that's weak which is actually really linked into the ejaculation. So that's a, that's a whole other um, topic. But um, this not it's, it's not good enough. It's like if you do something bad or wrong, then you're going to get judged and you're going to be not good enough. And we as humans are longing for belonging. We're longing for connection, longing to fit in. And when we don't feel good enough and we feel bad or wrong, we feel like we don't fit in. We feel like we're an outsider. So... That shame is what keeps us there. And it's actually the, um, in, in energy, like vibrational, death is the lowest and shame is next. Hmm. It's the lowest vibration. So when we start stepping out of shame, we stop making ourselves wrong or bad. We stop caring what people think. We start f feeling like we're enough. It really gives us the possibility to go and do all the things that we love and be who we really are to feel worthy of everything that we desire because shame and self-worth are intrinsically connected. When we heal our shame, we step into our self-worth. And so then things just start to flow. Things start to show up for us in all areas of our life through, you know, our relationships, through abundance, you know, money. Things start to show up because we feel worthy of it. So, yeah, and in terms of um, the shame with sex work, like that really... That really saddens me because I think we do such wonderful work. There's so many people out there doing amazing work in this industry. And I think the world would really suffer without it. <laughs> well, I wanted to yeah. ask you, um, you know, whether you were able to share an example of a time when you really feel that you've helped a client, even mm. if it's not, not just one session perhaps, but, you know, over a period of time you felt that, you know, a transformation happened. Yeah, well, I've got lots of examples, but I, one of my most beautiful stories um, is actually one of my clients who uh, is a really good friend now, and he's a quadriplegic. And so he first booked me uh, for an escort session, and this is probably about four years ago now. And 
I really didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> but I knew other women in the industry who had worked with people with disabilities. So, you know, I had a good chat to them and he just felt really drawn to me. And so what ended up happening was um, when we met, I just was so inspired by him and he was doing this great work out in the community as well, um, you know, doing motivational speaking. And his mum actually organised the session and suggested it to him, which I thought was really sweet, who's um, also like a bit of a second mum to me now. So we have a great connection there. And so after that, and I was part of this entrepreneurs group and I got him to come along and do a talk to this group that I was involved with. And then we just started this beautiful friendship and I started running these charity events and we, I set up a charity fund for him to raise money to buy him a new wheelchair van so he could keep going doing his community work, doing his talks. And so eventually through some avenues, he was able to, to get a, a new van to help him with that. And we ran these amazing events, which, you know, all this community came on board. And then when I started to get into sexual healing, I decided that I wanted to do this work with him. And so one of the first sessions we we did, he was actually able to uh, have an ejaculation for the first time in 10 years. Wow. Yeah. So he never thought that he w- that would be able to happen again. Um, and then he also had some uh, a full body orgasm as well and started to, you know, get a little bit of feeling back in his genitals, which, which is amazing. It's extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, extraordinary. So we're still doing some work together and we're working towards what he, what he would really like to experience. Um, and we were doing sexual healing and tantric work with him. And so it's been an amazing journey there and, you know, it's a, an, a bit of an unlikely friendship, but this is you know, a really beautiful example of the work that workers can do for mm. people that may struggle to have intimacy in their lives and everyone needs it, like everyone does. And so then there's been clients that, you know, have come to me because I've had one client who was suicidal and he said to me, if I hadn't come seeing you today, I would have committed suicide. I was on my way and then I called you and I came in and um, we never know what someone is really going through and we never know like the clients that come to us and how we are really helping them, you know, more than probably we know a lot of yeah. the time. So, and it, there is different sides of the industry. There's definitely the side where, you know, clients do come in, they're a bit drunk and they're just wanting to get off that side of thing. But at the end of the day, there's some beautiful work going on out yeah. there. I wanted yeah. to ask you about consent too, because I oh. know you talk to, to, you talk about consent. How do you kind of unpack that? What's your definition of consent and does it have to continue to be given through uh, through a session with a client or is the fact that you're there enough consent? Yeah, so this for me has become a really I've become really strong on boundaries and consent in the last year. Something that I've had to really learn because I was quite disconnected from my body previous to getting doing all the healing work on myself and I kind of would just well, this is what I offer, so I'm just going to do it like because this is what I offer. And sometimes I'd probably be doing things that my body was just like, you know, hurry up and get it over and done with. Like it wasn't even there. Like it's mm. as I say to some people, sometimes it was like I was, my body was there, but my spirit or my energy was flying out in space somewhere. This is when I knew I had to do this sexual healing work on myself. And now it's like I'm so there. <laughs> but part of being there is that I honour my boundaries and I get really clear on what they are and I have a conversation. I've always had a conversation with my clients about what I do offer, but now um, I really sit down and be like, okay, these are my boundaries. But what I now also say is, you know, sometimes my body 
might feel like it wants to do something different or maybe it's not ready to be penetrated. And because it takes 20 to 30 minutes for a woman to be ready for penetration. And I'm, you know, I'll say, but I would like, let's let's explore my body because I would like to, you know, be wet enough where we don't need lube. And and I, so I, I'm really in a beautiful position that with my sessions, my clients are really aware that I do really honour that. And so they come in and they're so beautiful sometimes because they always want to make sure that they do the, the right thing. But, you know, I encourage them to explore as well. So, um so I just say to them, sometimes, you know, I might want, I'll let you know if there's something that I'm not liking or if I want to try something else. And I say the same for them. So for me, it's like, yes, you're giving consent at the start of the session, like this is what the service is. But for me now, it's like, I'm going to let you know when I'm ready kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm where my body is ready to go and to do a certain thing. And Sometimes that means that I'm going to have to work on some, you know, sexual energy practices to heighten my energy to be ready for things or to have a certain type of touch that allows me to be ready. Because if I go back to being like penetrated before I'm ready, I know that's just going to numb me more. So I find that consent is so important, even then you're in that situation, that it's okay to, and this goes for you know, all sexual, you know, whether you work in the sex industry or side of it, you can, you have a right to say no. Like you can always say no. I struggled with that for a long time, just letting people do stuff because that's what I thought they were paying me for. There's certain things, you know, it's still sometimes it's a work in progress. Like you might sometimes go, maybe go out of a boundary. It's just coming back in and learning and going, okay, is this now a boundary for me? Okay, this needs to be a boundary for me. What is it that I'm okay with? And and so this is me, you know, we're all, we're all constantly kind of learning what, what works and um, for us personally. And again, every woman is different as to what their boundaries are. There are women that are more than happy to work all hours of the night and see people that have been drinking and that's, that's totally cool for them. Um, but that, that's not for me. That's not how I work. Mm, I yeah. have no idea of the level of complication <laughs> that you're dealing with on a daily basis. You know, w- before we were talking about, I guess, sexual currency and how you're desirability is, you know, how women kind of rate themselves as being valuable or not valuable based on on desirability or Mm -hmm. whether society does that. But I think we also do that to ourselves. And I wondered then how long do you believe that you can sustain working in an industry that where your appearance is absolutely number one thing? Forever. (laughs) No, um, well, there is, there is a granny somewhere, like a really I think a woman in her 80s, I'm not sure what her name is, but um, that still works in the industry. I've seen articles about that. But I know women that are in their 60s that still work um, and they have their own flavour of client. Like this, you know, they'll have a niche. There'll be clients that, you know, want someone that that's age, that is, that is at that age. So I don't think there's necessarily, you know, maybe you wouldn't get as many clients. I, I can't be sure because I'm not in that position but you would have a, a different type of clientele. So for me personally, my work's evolved so much now that it's gotten to a point where I could probably do this forever and ever um, because people come to me not just for what I look like. They come to to have that learning and that healing experience. I mean, I don't see myself doing it, you know, in my 80s. <laughs> You know, well, my, I would love to be training other women to do this work, and you know, maybe not in my 80s either, but um, eventually that's where I'm heading in the next year. 
is to actually train up other women how to do, how to introduce the sexual healing and the tantra and the, you know, sacred sexual priestess work and more providing that for their clients. Yeah. EJ, it's, it's been such a privilege being able to ask you about all this stuff, especially at a time when you're really kind of evolving and, and I guess turning to face the world in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. So I'm so grateful to you, Mary, for, for allowing me to share fully from my own space where it, you know you do get to see the real people that work in the industry. Mm. EJ Love, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I feel hugely enlightened. Oh, thank you. Rare Air is produced by Mary Fayton for Three Gates Media and mixed by Adrian Sardi at The Vault. You can find the full series on iTunes by searching Rare Air with Mary Fayton. Get in touch at threegatesmedia.com or on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening.